This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello, everyone. I hope you can dig it because I can. My name is Sam LaCrosse, and this is uh, another episode of the weekly edition of the Do Not Listen to This podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. It has been a long week, at least for me. I got my uh, second COVID shot yesterday, and I, I actually, I don't know how many of you guys, or if anyone's out there listening to this at all, actually, but <laughs> if any of you guys had COVID before, and I did, ha I had COVID really bad, if you remember earlier this year, if you're a consistent listener, I had COVID really bad earlier in the year, I don't know what kind, what the fuck kind of strand I got, if it was like an early stage Delta, or like that raw shit, or whatever, but that, it fucked me up really bad, and I, and it really, really hampered me down, and you know, obviously, like, I'm not, you know, being a, being like a, a COVID survivor, or whatever, but it was pretty bad, and you know, it took me about, you know, three days for it to flush out of the system, and about two weeks before I started feeling really normal again. So, additionally from that, so I got my second COVID shot yesterday, and it kind of, I woke up this morning to go work out, and I felt like absolute fucking garbage. I felt like absolute trash. And I think, you know, I was just, it was so bad. Like, I, I, I was getting chills. I, had, I took a hot shower for once. I usually take cold showers in the morning. But it was, it was really bad. And so that was, that was not, obviously not ideal. But I think, you know, we're, we're easing our way out through it. We got some chicken parm on the way for the evening. We're going to go to bed early. I, early. And I go to bed early anyway. I'm going to go to bed at like fucking seven o'clock or some shit. But um, so, and I think it's just honestly, like I needed an excuse to rest a little bit because I usually like, I'm, I'm leading up to, you know, I got the marathon in New York city in the first week of the month. I, I you know, I'm finishing up that special project. I keep telling you guys about it's it, that one's round and third. I got a, another significant step in that done today. So, um, want to try to see if we can, you know, if I can just relax a little bit before, um, before I really kind of crank things up at the end of the year and really, really trying to close out 2021 with getting all the things that I need to get done, done. So, and with that, additionally comes a, um, you know, it, it comes, uh, so a memory comes back, I would say. And I remember it was really, really early into my tenure in Boston. It was about a little over a year ago at this point. I think it was in, it was in August or July that I chose to do this. I took, I was really overwhelmed. And I think a lot of things with the move, with everything else, with my new job, with all the, you know, the shit I was having to absorb in my brain. And I think I just needed to take, honestly, some time to myself and some time off and, you know, shut my brain off for a little bit. Because I think I have a, 
I'm not bragging or anything, but I think I have a pretty active brain. I think my brain doesn't really stop moving. I think that's a very common trend in my family, actually. My sister's brain never turns off. And I think I'm very, very similar to her in that regard. So it would be a, um, so I decided to take a month off of social media, or actually a month off of really connectivity. I didn't really do anything except for work and LinkedIn for my work. And then I shut off my computer. I didn't use any Netflix or any technology or anything else. And I wanted to look really back at that time because it was really kind of an influential period in my coexistence with the world. And I wanted to revisit that just one personally for myself because I definitely want to try to do it um, sometime again soon because I think my brain needs it, especially after all the overload and my body definitely needs it. So I wanted to just revisit that. I haven't really read this post since I composed it back um, a while ago. And so I wanted to really, really, you know, kind of, I would say, dig into it a little bit more and see kind of what's, what's going on with it. So here we go. In case you missed it, the world ended about 892,357 times in the past five weeks. Several quote-unquote bombshells were dropped in the bombshell hub of the world, Twitter. Um, you know, there was some thing, there was the whole Afghanistan thing, and there was this, and there was that, and then there was, you know, the... President Biden said some things and former President Trump said some things and we had, you know, people yelling at each other all over the place and, you know, the world burned to the ground three times and everything. But the thing is, I might not have seen it and I didn't see it when I took my month off last year. I was one of the ones who missed it back in the day. How could you, the mob and the anti-mob members, cry from the Facebook rooftops? Don't you want to be informed? They pleaded. My answer? No, and frankly, shut the fuck up. Take your misplaced sense of virtue and go away, you whores. Five weeks prior, I had just finished reading Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I talked about it and its impact on me multiple times in multiple posts, and multiple podcasts, actually. And it stands as one of the most influential books I've ever read in my entire life. And it was that book that inspired the series that I was currently adopting into that phrase, The Escape from the Matrix series. But... I didn't start writing this series until I did what Newport until after I did what Newport suggested that I do. Cal Newport, for those who don't know him, is a computer scientist who has written several books on the topic of modern use of technology and their effects on our health. I got in a sense before this that our modern use of technology was beginning to become a problem, mostly with myself. During the first breakout of the beer virus back in last March, we were, when we were forced to stay inside, I began to realize this creep up more and more. My screen time increased drastically, and it increased a lot. However, I didn't really realize the massive scale of this problem until I discovered the vice from a vice that could potentially be worse, which is Tinder. Being a thirsty lad isolated in my apartment, I cracked open my devious application and started swiping. I matched with a girl. She was attractive, fun, and had a good personality. However, when I would Snapchat her, there was always, that glow, always a glow flashing in her blue light glasses, and it wasn't from her phone. She was still in school. I was just finishing. However, the university she went to went, like, went longer than mine, and we were still talking in between that gap. I cracked a joke about how much time she spent on her phone. She asked me to guess. I defaulted to what the screen time on my phone was, around five and a half hours, just under three times the limit that people no that know much more about the shit than I do would consider quote-unquote healthy. She laughed at me and then got uneasy. I kept inching it higher and the unease began to skyrocket, and I gave up after eight hours. But then she dropped the nuke. Twelve hours a day, just on her phone. Twelve hours. 
I couldn't believe it. It was a reality check that I never knew I needed. And that's when I started to take this a lot more seriously. That can't be healthy for you, my common sense told me. I started looking more into it and stumbled upon an article from my guy Mark Manson, which he called the attention diet. Manson, in his brilliance, had stumbled upon this exact trend, and it scared him too. He actually took inspiration from Cal Newport and Neri Yall, another member of the technology resistance, who was a close friend of his. In the article, which may be his best on his site, markmanson.net, Manson compared our current mindfuck of mental health issues and bloat to the physical health issues and bloat of the 1960s. Back in those days, when we had just caught up to the fact that we had more food and money in excess than we knew what to deal with, there were no world, war, world wars, although Vietnam would soon become a thing. People ate, drank, fucked, and smoked themselves into a stupor on the regular. Watch any episode of Mad Men for more context if you want to. The one thing that saved us from collapsing into a pit of physical hellfire was the fitness movement of the 1970s, led by things such as Arnold Schwarzenegger, jogging, and Nike. Emphasis on taking care of your physical health became a premium. Manson argued that we are at the same turning point with our minds. There is so much excess out there that it could kill us if we aren't careful. We will feed our brains with so much proverbial chocolate cake and butter pecan ice cream that we will turn our minds into Jabba the Hutt. Although with our minds, there will be no sexy Carrie Fisher in a metal bikini to straddle and strangle us to death, unfortunately. Instead, our minds will die slowly and painfully, just like the people who are fat and unhealthy do. It starts with one thing, and then the slippery slope chucks several others down until we drown in our own excess. This is obviously not good. So, obviously scared of shit from Manson and Newport's unsparing realism and index card size of citations, I took Newport's book seriously. And he proposed a solution. A digital declutter. A 30-day period of no optional technology whatsoever. Nothing. It was up to you what, quote, optional meant, according to Newport, but he recommended getting rid of everything. It was meant to be a hard value reset on your relationship with technology. Throw it into the fire and see what melts away. So I did. I got rid of everything. My phone went from, from three pages of apps to less than one. I didn't watch a shred of Netflix. YouTube was deleted. So were all of my social media accounts. I didn't surf the internet. I turned my phone off for most of the day. I got rid of every single podcast on my phone. I didn't listen to music unless I was at the gym. I broke all my Snapchat streaks. I only had two at the time, but still. The only things I allowed myself to do were text, call, and FaceTime people after work and before bed and do research for my blog posts. Nothing else was allowed for that 30-day period. How did I do, you may ask? Well, I absolutely fucking sucked at it. I cheated several times over the last parts of the declutter. I watched a couple of Joe Rogan clips on YouTube. I may have downloaded a dating app and swiped on a few ladies. I might have watched the new Flapper Zombies video with it, which came out then 57 times. God only knows. But something else became clear to me. Something much more important. I didn't really care that I cheated. Why? Because, in a weird way, I missed those things. I valued those things. As cheap as that sounds. I like enhancing my mind with Joe Rogan and the smart people he brings on a show. It turns out that I, as a straight white male patriarchy, enjoy, ta enjoy talking to women. Strange, I know. Maybe I should go shame myself or whatever. I knew what and who I missed and what and who I didn't. My mental health improved. I felt like I had much less distraction. My screen time plummeted from around 4 hours a day to around 44 minutes a day. I felt like I had much less distraction. I wrote a ton more. I read gigantic books and learned a lot from the vices that are causing these problems. 
Look no further than the post before this for what I'm talking about. Don't read this blog.com. That clarity gave me precision. I knew what I needed to do. So immediately after, I permanently deleted my Facebook account on that Sunday night. I won't and still don't miss it. I unfollowed a third of the people I was following on Instagram. I won't miss them or their posts. And this is under, I would say I've unfollowed probably about two-thirds to four-fifths of them now. I deleted my Instagram account for this blog, much less work to do. If it wasn't a direct value add to my life, I removed it. As simple as that. You're an addict. We all are. Let's stop pretending like we don't know what's going on here. Our modern use of technology is killing us. Our attention is the new cigarettes. But instead of lung cancer and heart disease, it's mental health issues and increased mental bloat. Our, hands, our heads are watermelons, and these tools are the spoon that scrapes them clean of the good stuff that's on the inside. Even though I don't like watermelon, actually. Every like, every Snapchat, every post is a dopamine hit. And we have hundreds, if not thousands, of these dopamine hits every single day. It numbs our sense of pleasure and makes us want more. A lot like crack, and frankly, I don't want to be addicted to crack. Much like the 1970s, where we had to face a turning point with our bodies, I believe we are at the same turning point with our minds. We need to cut the bullshit, or it's literally going to kill us. Our minds need to go on a diet, or we will be plagued with mental obesity and all its vices. We live in the Matrix. We confuse fantasy for reality. We create mental prisons for ourselves based on comparisons and fake relationships. We are not using products. We are the product. We feed the mouths of our big tech overlords. They prey on our addictions. They need, the, they need them to breathe. We're not the end consumer. We're the middleman. We simply give big tech our attention and our data, who then repackage it and sell it to other companies so they can sell us more stuff in return. We're like a sponge that can never get totally run out, wrung out. There's always a little more they can squeeze out of us. I would prefer not to get wrung out by these mongers. I like my mental sanity. I want to keep it strong. The first step in doing that is to reclaim our control over technology. You should rule your technology, and your technology should not rule you. The way we get there is through digital minimalism. So, here's how to avoid a mental apocalypse in three easy steps, or your money back. Which is not true, because I'm not way, any way, actually, financially responsible for any funds you may or may not choose to give me. And I'm not asking for them anyway, so, I don't know, whatever. Step one, cut out all of your optional digital technology for a month. This is the part where all the Gen Z's start to fade. Don't worry, snowflakes, all will be well. For us younger bucks, this can seem like an almost impossible task. Technology has been ubiquitous with our way of life for nearly our entire existence. It's funny, actually, we've actually grown up with it. I remember when my family had a designated quote-unquote computer room. A room where that big fucking monster of a computer would sit, hard drive that weighed 50 pounds of wire sprouting all over the damn place. Probably could have powered the damn space shuttle back in the 1960s. As we grew up, so did our technology. Every room soon became a computer room. We soon had them in our pockets. We soon had them in our ears and on our wrists. They became interconnected to every technology in nearly every possible way. From the things we entertain ourselves with and watch to even what we wear, they are a part of us now, for better or for worse. But it doesn't mean they have to be, or that it's right. I personally don't think that it is. We've survived for thousands of years without having to respond to a Snapchat every two minutes. 
We built the atomic bomb and won two world wars without having to send out a woke tweet. You didn't need Wi-Fi connection or another club to club another caveman over the head for a slab of mutton. But I will also be the first to admit that technology does help a ton with what we do. We need a technology to survive and thrive for those 3,000 years. We need a lot of tools to build the atomic bomb and win those two world wars. We need that stone to beat our fellow caveman brother bloodied for a slab of mutton. What we don't need is the excess. All the other shit that really doesn't matter and wasn't even relevant for much of our evolution. Because of our human imperfection and the shady motives of our current technology overlords, we've taken tools and we've become abusive and addicted to ourselves and those technologies. I fear that we're nearing a point where that ubiquitousness is not simply turned to a luxury, but a necessity. It's not. It's all a facade. A mirage made up in the constructs of our own minds. We live in the Matrix, remember? We need the blue pill to take us out of it. And that blue pill is, a dig is digital minimalism. Digital minimalism will allow you to strip your relationship with technology down to the studs, take it for what it's truly worth, and reframe it to best suit you and your values. This is a must. Our mental sanity and dependency on the crack our pockets smoke depend on it. The first step that you need to do to reframe your technology is to break from it for a month. Yeah, a month, you heard me correctly. Or read, I guess, listen to me correctly. Shut up, it's my podcast. You read me correctly. A full month with no optional technology. Technology makes our lives better. So it would be foolish to get rid of all the things that are value adders. You need your oven to cook food so you can feed yourself. You do not have to give up your oven. This is what Newport called a digital declutter. It acts as a hard reset for your value framework around your technology. I call it doing a hard value reset on your relationship with technology, much like you do with your iPhone when you've downloaded too much pirated internet porn and crash it. You need to clear it out of all the junk that's going around in it, and then create a new world for stuff to populate it. It might sound stupid, but to start this process, you need to admit that you're not in control and you're addicted to technology. Because I am. We all are. We have problems and we need to fix them. And to some, this may sound a little bit extreme or weird, and I get that. But a lot of extreme and weird shit sometimes has to be done in order to fix extreme and weird problems, like our current addictions and compulsions to our various technologies that we use. If the aliens came down and saw what we were doing, they would wonder why the fuck they even invaded here in the first place. But think about it. It makes sense. What does every Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous meeting start with? Hi, I'm blank, and I'm a blank addict. Then everyone says hi and moves about their business. What does every fat person do before they start hitting the gym? They realize that they are fat and unhealthy and are going to help fix the problem. What does a dad do when he realizes he's burned out at work, hates his family, and doesn't see an end? He sells all of his shit and semen on Craigslist by a one-way ticket to Tahiti and abandons his family. This is called self-awareness. It's the highest of virtues, the greatest value one can possess. It's the internal alarm that goes off, or should go off, in your mind that says something isn't quite right here. It forces you to course correct and fix the problem. In this case, your addiction and compulsions to your technologies. Admit it, we all need to do it. Especially when going through step one. The reason? Because step one is easily the most painful step in this entire process, and it's not even close. The hardest part of anything is starting it. It's hard to approach an attractive woman in a social setting. It's hard quitting your job and starting a business. It's hard to leave your family and move to Tahiti with a, to dance with topless women on the beach. You need the will. In the words of Ra's al Ghul, the training is nothing. 
The will is everything. The will to act. One of the greatest scenes in contemporary cinema aside, he's absolutely correct. You first need to muster the will, and then have the discipline to execute upon that will. Breaking a habit like this is incredibly difficult, mostly because we've been conditioned by our overlords and ruling class this behavior is okay, and don't get it twisted because it isn't. The will is important, the discipline more so. However, that also is continued based on what you define as, quote, optional, and this varies for everyone. For me, I only kept the research on the internet for this blog, my text messages, phone, and FaceTime, all while not taking place during work hours. I also listened to music while I worked out, but none at any other point during my digital declutter. You can decide what is optional to you all you want. This is your declutter, and you're entitled to the devices you leave with it, within it. However, to make this the most effective possible, I recommend a clean break from all optional technologies. And when I say I'm all, I mean all. No streaming services, no YouTube, no music, no social media, no podcasts, no nothing. You kiss it all goodbye for a full, full 30 days. Or around 27 if you feel like a lackadaisical fuck like myself who wants to listen to a new Jaden Smith album, which is, which is really good, by the way. Get rid of it. You shouldn't have any of it on your phone. That's the easiest way to fuck this up for yourself. Slot machines in our pocket, if you remember the infamous trope quote from uh, Tristan Harris. Cut out all the bloat. Remove the tumor. It'll hurt like a motherfucker for a while, but the swelling will depressurize in time. So you've removed the bloated and cancerous technologies from your life. This is a great first step. But there's still one problem with step one. You're bored. I get it. I was bored as hell too when it started. It's natural. When you remove all the nonsense, you realize that what you wasted your time was truly spent on. Nonsense. You discover you have much more time on your hands than you thought possible. There just wasn't enough of it. You didn't have the quote-unquote time to do things. Well, now you do. You have, quote, the time. So what I would suggest that you do with that, quote, time is fill it with all the things that you did not have, quote, the time for before. Unfortunately, these dreaded things we do not have, quote, the time for are usually the ones we put off in fear. We don't want to schedule time to call our families, to take walks, to work out, to go and buy and eat real food, to pursue a project we've been working on, or wanting to work on, I should say. Why? Well, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. They probably vary from person to person. In fact, I would definitely say that they do. But I believe that we fear doing these things because they take investment. Again, they're hard. It's hard to consistently talk to your family and friends and become invested in them and their lives, to put them before yourself on some occasions. It's difficult to begin the process of getting in shape. It's impossibly hard to begin pursuing a project that is worth investing in. It's much easier to mindlessly scroll through a social media feed. There's no investment there. It's all sizzle and no steak. But, you see, the thing is, these things we didn't have, quote, the time for are the ones we should do. The reason is that these activities are the most value-adding activities, or mostly value-adding activities, I should say. Creating and deepening relationships with people creates more value in your life because of the commitment and investment you make in them. Getting in shape creates more value because of all the positive health benefits that come with it, both physical and mental. A project, wherever that it may be in the context of your life, creates value because you are literally creating something out of nothing. The only value that, pr that project has is the investment you put into it. With optional technologies not clouding your life and psyche, you have the opportunity to invest in more value creation for yourself. This is not a lesson on value economics per se, 
but it very well could be an example of one. You're exchanging a value detractor for a value adder, two for the price of one. During my new free time, I reread all the aforementioned Goat Mark Manson's books again. I read two more gigantic ones, the ones I dropped in the last post, again, don'treadthisblog.com, and that time as well. I pumped out a lot of good content for the blog, a couple of posts which I thought were some of my best work to date. I dialed in at work and started to get a grip of my new job. I was more social with my new co-workers and friends than I ever thought I could possibly be. I outlined the entirety of the project that I'm writing and wrote the first two chapters. So, take from that what you, uh, what you want. The point is, you need to fill the gaps that your optional technologies used to have in order to, f order to feel like you would not want to stick 9-inch nails through each one of your eyelids. Well, maybe not all the time, but we'll save that for later in the next post. Spoiler alert again. God, I suck at this. Again, don't read this blog.com. It's up already. So, surprise, not ruined, I guess. One last thing before we move on to step two. You will feel two itches to get onto your optional technologies, one at the beginning and one at the end. The one at the beginning is the harder of the two. That's when your brain starts to panic when you don't have a constant stimulation. That is the most important one not to break because then the digital declutter will be meaningless. It will have no point. I realize I'm going to be in, the, in huge violation of the third don't, but you shouldn't break that one either. I did and I own it. I succumb, but I wish I hadn't. There's a tremendous sense of accomplishment with doing something hard and seeing it through to the end. I failed to do this and I didn't feel as good as I should have. I don't want you to rob yourself of that feeling. But I would say that it was better for me to fail at that time than to fail at the first. If you fail at the last part, you're doing it most likely because of legitimate desire, not because of compulsive behavior. That would have been beaten out of you by now if you did the declutter right. At the end of my declutter, I had two motivations for this. The first was to get some of my optional technologies back. The second was to get rid of the meaningless shit and the people I couldn't stand going back to. And there was a lot of both. I was excited to purge myself of it. And that's where we will go next. This is the tipping point. And this is where digital minimalism really gets started. Step two, do a ruthless analysis of value versus non-value adding activities and people. Odds are, unless you're some incarnate descendant of the Les Stroud type, you're probably going to want to use your optional digital technology again. It's understandable. I did very badly. I mentioned earlier how I failed to fully complete my digital declutter when I did it last summer. That was true. However, I also mentioned something else. That I didn't break it out of a sensation of get, wanting, wanting to get back on the platform technology to save the dating app, which is actually working out an actual date. Well, actually, I guess not now, I guess. <laughs> strange how that works. Or YouTube rabbit holes. I broke out of it because I figured out what I missed and what I didn't. I was so eager once I broke out of my declutter to get on my technology, specifically because I couldn't wait to get off some of them. It was an odd sensation to say the least, but it was a sensation that I was so glad that I experienced. You see, that's what the title of this section is about. Value-adding versus non-value-adding activities. After the 30-ish day, days of my cleanse, it had become completely clear what added value versus what did not pertain to my optional digital technologies. So, like a wheat farmer with a scythe, I cut out everything that did not pertain what added value to my life. Mob and anti-members clashing over Facebook, gone, along with the entire account. 
For those who fear losing their pictures, do not fear. You can download all your data from Facebook onto your computer of your preference. Just Google it, feed the other big tech machine, or go on don'treadthisblog.com, and the link is right there in the sentence. Anything I could do on my laptop that I couldn't do on my phone, delete it immediately. Social media that I could access from my laptop, gone. I don't miss it. It didn't add immediate value to that device, my cell phone, so I got rid of it. This reduction in clutter should, be very, clutter should be very swift and decisive, should you do it correctly. You really shouldn't have to think twice. You should have a very clear picture about what is absolutely essential to have, particularly on your phone in this case, and what is absolutely not. For all those dreadful applications that clutter up your phone and therefore your mind, be like the aforementioned wheat farmer. Slash them. When you're done with this, you should have no more than a page of apps on your phone. You shouldn't be able to scroll from left to right. They should all be there on one screen right in front of you. Only the essentials for a device that, usually, that is usually way overloaded with excess. You don't need Instagram on your phone, neither your mobile banking or investment application of your choice, nor your email. You don't. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you do. Take all your work shit off, too. If you have a work laptop working from home, just use that. But for some of you, this may not be that clear, and it wasn't for a lot of my technologies. This is understandable. This is what the addiction and ubiquitousness of their everyday usage in our life does to us. It turns us into vampires, with that feed we scroll through acting as the blood that we need to survive. But, unlike vampires, you don't need it. For all your borderline optional digital technologies, the ones in which you see both pros and cons, what I would suggest is this. Get out a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. Write the word pros on the left side, cons on the right. Then extrapolate the hell out of that particular technology. Think really fucking hard and make your brain hurt. After you do this, and assuming you do it correctly, you should know what to do with the digital technology. It's not just the amount of pros and cons, but what the pros and cons are that matter. For example, having Snapchat streaks with a couple of close friends versus compulsively checking Snapchat to see if you keep your 79 streaks, I know someone who does this and energy is way, are apples and oranges. One is relatively okay, and one is not. You should be able to spot these if you are ruthless as the title of this step suggests. It's very simple. This is a binary equation. There are only two outcomes. If it adds value, keep it. If it does not, delete it immediately. You should not hesitate. That will only make the initial sting more painful than it should be. Be blunt about your relationship with these technologies and the vices that come with them, and do the right thing for yourself. But as it turns out, that isn't the hardest part of step two. It's about to get much harder. Because now you have to decide what stays and what goes within the optional digital technologies you decide to keep. This is the people and accounts that you interact with, particularly on social media. Chances are you probably need to get rid of most of them, especially if the list of people you follow is getting bloated and out of control, which it is with most people, including myself. What I would recommend is that on each platform social media technology you decide to keep, you follow no more than 150 people. In fact, I would cap it at about 100. There's science behind both these numbers, which I will now explain. Robin Dunbar is a British anthropologist who was doing research in the 1990s on the correlation between brain size and the amount of intimate relationships that one person can maintain. Since our brains, should they be lucky enough to be fully developed, are all relatively the same size, Dunbar concluded based on the factors such as long-term memory and neocortex size, that the maximum average amount of close relationships that a primate can maintain is, on average, 150. This number was appropriately, appropriately named, wait for it, Dunbar's number. 
and it has been a staple of social science since its conception. Dunbar explained this informally as, quote, the number of people you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happen to bump into them at a bar. End quote. Hell of an analogy right there. A hell of a true analogy right there, actually. When I look at the people, including myself before my declutter, who, I, who used to follow 100s, hundreds of people, I'm puzzled. Why? Because they were in your Psych 101 class because you played football with them in high school because you gave them a rub and tug after a sophomore year block party? These are all absolutely horrific reasons to follow anyone on a platform technology like Facebook or Instagram. What value do any of these things directly add to your life right now, today? The answer, nothing, unless you have a regular cadence of communication going. Proximity does not equal intimacy. Do not believe that it does. But how do we define this? What data or metrics should we use to condense this part of our lives? When doing this myself right before I back on my social media, I came up with a rule. If I didn't engage in meaningful conversation with that person within the last three months, they were gone immediately. This is not liking a photo or sending a Snapchat. No. That is a low-quality relationship nudge that you most likely utilize for clout and social validation. It is not a reason to keep someone in your life. Social media should act as a tool for relationship enhancement, not for superficial, non-intimate relationship upkeep. When you adopt this rule, there should be a divide that immediately comes up. Take that divide and purge the other side of it. Get rid of all the nonsense that's clogging up your feet in your head. Again, be ruthless. If they really cared and reach out to you, that's a different discussion. Maybe there was something you missed. But if they just throw a bitch fit, Marlon Wayne's voice, about how they lost a follower and you're fake, you should know your answer. But in my estimation, this number should not be capped at 100, 150. It should be capped at 100. Why? Because odds are a lot of your family, particularly older folks and potentially good friends who do not have an intimate relationship, who you do have an intimate relationship with, could not be on social media. They could be plugged out of the matrix and all of its horrors already. For example, my family is huge, particularly on my dad's side. My sister doesn't have social media, neither do a lot of my cousins, most of whom I have good relationships with. Neither do a lot of my aunts and uncles or my grandparents. These are all intimate relationships and therefore go unaccounted for when taking the Dunbar's number approach strictly to your social media accounts. It's simply too limited of a periphery. The sample size isn't big enough. So, what I would do is try to get the list of people you follow to around 100. I'm currently 84 and I think I'm now at 65 when I last looked, with about a third of them being family members. Most of them being family members now, actually, in this case. This is the way it should be. When I pull up my Instagram once a week, more on this in step three, I can scroll through about a week's worth of content in my feed, post what I feel like posting, and be done in about 30 minutes. The efficiency is unbelievable. I then simply delete the app off my phone and go about my business, and that's it. And one last thing on this before we move on. Famous people. You shouldn't follow hardly any of them. I would keep this number to around 10 or below. The only ones that should be included in, in that 10 would be those, those famous people who have directly impacted your life and have added value to it. Be just as ruthless with them as you are the rest of your people. It's highly unlikely that you have many meaningful relationships with society's quote-unquote elite in order to keep them. Check in on them once in a while if you wish, sure. But they don't care about or need your likes. They have billions of other saps more than willing to fill your place. But there's something even better that comes to the increased efficiency. The amount of time that has been freed because of it. 
when you're not compulsively checking about whether Brad Chad Thad viewed your Instagram story or not 17 times a day, you free up an unprecedented amount of time. It's more than you'd think. It certainly was for me. What I recommend you do is make more time for the meaningful communications and activities that you still have left pertaining to your social life. I alluded to this a massive amount of free time in step one, but it will be naturally, naturally be condensed in step two because of the reintroduction of some of your optional digital technologies. And I would suggest filling that time with meaning. The way I've been doing this is by setting up cadences for calls and FaceTime with my family and close friends between two and three times a week. Moving to a new city four months ago, I left a lot of my primary intimate relationships behind. And moving to a new city about another six months ago, I left even more of them behind. In utilizing the good digital technologies properly, I can upkeep those relationships relatively easy. With this time getting swallowed up, you should feel busy, but it shouldn't feel stressful. Again, these are meaningful relationships. Having a conversation with a meaningful family member or friend just to catch up and see how they are doing should not cause you stress. This is good dopamine. You should want to experience this. Make time for value because it's always worth it. But unfortunately, like any addiction or compulsion, you can be attempted to repeat the, repeating the sins of your past. You might lose your internal sense of discipline and start to cheat a little bit. You edge lower and lower down that slippery slope of hell. But don't worry, that's what step three is for. Step three, don't ever trust yourself ever again. Harsh, I know. But with any addiction or compulsion, you must realize its potency and potential to come back. If you aren't vigilant about it, it will. You're an addict, remember? We all are. We must take steps in order to curb it, or we will go all go down a path that will lead right back to where we started. The first thing I would recommend that you do is you download and pay for an app and website blocker on your, both your laptop and your phone. This may see, seem extreme, but extreme measures are sometimes called for when dealing with extreme consequences. Take it out of your hands. The algorithm knows better than you. It will always know better than you, as we've discussed before. The app that I would recommend is called Freedom. It's less than $30 for the entire year of usage. And let me tell you, it works. So well that for a good portion of this week, I accidentally locked myself out of my laptop for three days. I still don't know how to use the damn thing, and I actually, like a year later, I still don't. I'm getting locked out of it still. But it does the trick, and it does it well. The reason why you should pay for a blocker is that the ones that you have to pay for are typically better. That's why they cost money. And with dealing without our digital health and well-being, I think $30 a year is well worth the price. I have a laughable disposable income per month, and I still bought it. It will be well worth the investment that you make in yourself. For me, I am, eventually, once I figure out how to work the damn thing, Going to install it so that I can't access my devices during work hours, my gym time, and cutting, my, cutting me off during normal patterns of sleep. In doing so, I hope to not only get away from my technology, but force myself to maximize their utilities while on them in the first place. After you install your website blocker, the next thing you should do would be this. If a streaming service or internet browser can be deleted from your phone, delete it. We already talked about doing this with social media, but internet browsers can act as similar vices especially in the absence of social media. 
As can streaming services. I don't know why anyone would want to watch Netflix in the little black box of death, but hey, to each its own. There is a way to delete Safari from your phone if you have an iPhone. Go into your general settings, go to Allowed Apps, and uncheck Safari. It will then go away from your screen, leaving you with no temptation whatsoever to surf the internet. This streamlining of your phone will get rid of the ease of access. It will maximize the potential of what a phone should be. A vehicle for contacting other people, supposedly being te via text, call, or FaceTime. Get rid of the ease of access of everything else. Do not tempt yourself. Make it very, very hard to access your cigarettes. Another thing I would recommend doing with this step is to disable notifications on all apps. Get rid of them. There are unnecessary annoyances that feed your compulsions to constantly check your phone. There is a way to do this on every device, including getting rid of those red circles of death and the numbers inside of them that appear in every corner of the application every time you do have an activity on it. You don't need those either. If it's important, you'll get to it. If not, it can wait. You don't need to constantly be checking your phone. You don't always need to be busy. You don't need to be constantly drawn to every activity at every second of the day. You don't always need to be doing something, especially if it's through the medium of a mobile device where it can be so harmful to you. That's one of the realizations I had when I was partaking in my declutter. If something truly earth-shattering happens, I will trust someone that will tell me. Not a lot did, and I was better for it. Which will lead to my final point of the whole, quote, not trusting yourself thing. You need to establish solitude, a specific time where you can do nothing at all. Spending time with nothing going on is huge. We have lost this ability as a society to be, to be by ourselves. We always need to feel like we're doing something with others, whether that form is in the physical or the metaphysical. This is not only an incorrect assumption, but also a dangerous one. You spend a lot of time by yourself. If you don't know how to do that without, hitting it, without an addicting dopamine hit from Snapchat once every five minutes or less, you don't know how to spend time by yourself. You only know how to lie to yourself and create that perception that you do know how to do that. But you do not. You never did. In creating time for you to do nothing, you'll be in tune with yourself more than you ever would have a prayer of doing without the constant distraction of a digital technology surrounding you. Check in with yourself and your thoughts. How are you doing? What's on your mind? Is something bothering you? Do you need to talk with someone about something? What emotions are you feeling? And about what? The way in which I do this is something I like to call a silent morning. I wake up at 4 o'clock or sometimes 3 o'clock and listen to music when I'm working out for around 2 hours every one of those mornings. However, when I'm not working out, I look at nothing. I don't listen to the radio or music or podcasts or television. Nothing, even while driving. It is all focused, all zen on the nothing that is around me, and what I have to do throughout that phase in order to create an optimal environment of solitude. Additionally, I also try to meditate with an app my lunch break or in the morning now for 15 minutes every day. The app I use is called Chakra Meditation in the App Store, an app specifically designed to have you focus on each one of your seven chakras in order to elicit a feeling of energy inside yourself. I do one meditation for each well, meditation, I say that lightly, I'd probably just usually fall asleep for a little bit during all of them, but anyways. For each one, I'm one of the seven days of the week. It's perfect. It's exactly what I need. It allows me to think, reflect, and create an atmosphere to focus on one key area of my life that might need some thought. Take the time for nothing. Nothing is good. 
What I will leave you with for step three is to always keep a constant reminder of your value-adding activities. Solitude is one of them, but you should always keep in mind the others as well. Anytime a non-value-adding activity starts to creep up, you should be able to recognize and deter it before it can do damage to your health and your lifestyle. Your technology is supposed to help you with your life. That's what they were made for, at least mostly. You rule over them. They do not rule over you. What I've outlined in this podcast, at least hopefully, is the bare bones of what di digital minimalism can, and in my opinion should, look like for you. I have other rules, but they're all very personal and tailored to me. I don't know if they would fit everyone at a broad scale, so I don't recommend them at broad scale. What I would encourage you to do, though, is to make these, quote, other rules for yourself. Take your attention into your own hands. You're the puppet master, not the puppet. Don't dance on the strings of your technology addiction. My digital declutter taught me a lot of things. Our modern relationships and uses of technology are a problem, and we should all be working to fix our own individual problems pertaining to them. Throughout this series, I've laid out a series of resources on technology. I encourage you all to use them, or at least inquire more into them. I'm better off for them. I have a hunch that you will be too. Take advantage of them and use them. Except for the... Take a break from the algorithm. Oh boy, I fucked that up. Uh, I'm leading into my next thing. Take a break from the algorithm. Except for the one that gets you to read my blog. That one can stay. So... That was a little messy, guys. I'm sorry about that. I had, I had not read that in a very, very long time, actually, and I wanted to just revisit that. I actually learned a lot from rereading that post. I picked up some of my bad habits. I, I got DuckDuckGo on my phone now, which I guess is a little bit better than Google, and I don't do my silent morning anymore and everything like that, so I, I got to pick up back on these things, but just something to think about. It's not healthy, so get healthier, so that's what I'll leave you with, so own the day. Open your mind. Have a great weekend, y'all. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Stopping, hopping like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it I lay back in the cut, retain myself Think about the shit and I think it well How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?